0: The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from my flagship studio, WSB, in Atlanta, Georgia. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm actually in the studio, which makes it a a wild and, and just unique, interesting situation. Okay, now to begin the day, we must begin with what happened in San Francisco. I think it's rather important we start there. What happened in San Francisco was a parental revolt. This ties into another story that we will get to, but let me give you the overview of what happened in San Francisco. They had a recall on the the wokest of the woke members of the San Francisco uh, school board. Now, for those of you who don't understand, There's a signature drive. It's it's a pretty burdensome thing that has to be done along the way in order to get the members of the school board off the school board. It's actually a pretty big deal to have a recall, a successful recall, particularly in a place like San Francisco where you actually have a lot of voters who get to vote on the school board, but they don't actually have kids within the school system and the reason they don't have kids the reason they don't have kids within the school system is because well San Francisco is largely childless it's a problem if you want to get rid of school board members in San Francisco when you have a bunch of non-child like people there so we need to proceed we must proceed with the recall. The recall in San Francisco, well, it was significant. The parents in San Francisco decided that they would go after the three woke members, highly targeted, pretty significant. And those woke members at the school board, they were ousted. This is from the San Francisco Chronicle. San Francisco voters overwhelmingly supported the ouster of three school board members Tuesday in the city's first recall election in nearly 40 years. The landslide decision means board president Gabriela Lopez and members Allison Collins in Fauga Maliga will officially be removed from office and replaced by mayoral appointments 10 days after the election is officially certified. They're out. They're gone. It's a big deal. They're out and they're gone because parents revolted. Parents had enough. Parents were tired of the woke school board system that did not value their children, did not value. The families did not value education. They used San Francisco schools as not just a source of indoctrination, but as a place to close down. San Francisco schools did not want to stay open. They wanted to keep masks. They became a burden to the families. And in becoming burdens to the families, they decided, they decided, the school board decided, that they knew best. And by knowing best along the way, the parents decided they knew better. This is something that's been going on now for the last couple of years as we've seen Democrats, and you can tell their polling is terrible. We're about to shift to the polling. The Democrats have said along the way that uh, we, we need parents to not be involved in schools. How dare parents think they should have a say in the education of their children? How dare the parents think they can decide the curriculum and they can decide the attendance policy and they can decide the mask policy? Well, the parents are also something else. In many cases, not all cases, but in many, if not most cases, the parents are something else. You know the word taxpayer. It's not just the parents who want to say in the kids' school, they're taxpayers. And as taxpayers, they want to say in their kids' schooling. And they get it. They get it in large part because of the recall. But it goes beyond that. It, it's it's more important than that. It's part of a larger effort around the nation. The GOP culture war attacks are alarmingly potent, warns the DCCC. That's the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. That is the arm of the House Democrats that runs their campaigns. This is from Politico. It dropped today, or actually it dropped last night Democrats' own research shows that some battleground voters think the party is preachy, judgmental, and focused on culture wars. And the party's House campaign arm has a stark warning for Democrats. Unless they more forcefully confront the GOP's alarmingly potent, in their words, alarmingly potent, culture war attacks, from critical race theory to defunding the police, they risk losing significant ground to Republicans in the midterms. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee is recommending a new strategy to endangered members and their teams, hoping to blunt the kinds of GOP attacks that nearly erased their majority last election and remain a huge risk ahead of November. In presentations over the past two weeks, party officials and operatives used polling and focus group findings to argue Democrats can't simply ignore the attacks, particularly when they're playing at a disadvantage. A generic ballot of swing districts from late January showed Democrats trailing Republicans by four points. It wasn't all bleak, though. The data showed that Democrats could mostly regain the ground lost to Republicans if they offered a strong rebuttal to the political hits. When faced with a defund the police attack, for instance, the presenters encouraged Democrats to... Reiterate their support for police. And on immigration, they said Democrats should deny support for open borders or amnesty and talk about their efforts to keep the border safe. Now listen to this. This is the key paragraph here. If Democrats don't answer Republican hits, the party operatives warned the GOP's lead on the generic ballot balloons to 14 points from four points. A dismal prediction for Democrats when the GOP only needs to win five seats to seize back the majority. But when voters heard a Democratic response to that hit, Republicans' edge narrowed back down to six points, giving candidates more of a fighting chance, especially since those numbers don't factor in Democrats going on the offense. Okay. It also – the internal polling showed Republicans are actually pretty effective with center-left voters and with independents and with Hispanic voters. But there's a problem with the Democrats' own polling. First of all, we've never seen ever in the history of modern polling, we've never seen an R plus 14 generic ballot. It simply doesn't exist. It is the Yeti of polling. It doesn't exist. Uh, the, the the Abominable Snowman, the Unicorn, it is a polling R plus 14 is basically if a the Loch Ness Monster and a Unicorn had a love child raised by the Abominable Snowman and Bigfoot. That is R plus 14 polling. It doesn't exist. It is more mythological than Zeus and the pantheon of of Olympic gods, and yet the Democrats' polling is warning of R-plus-14 generic ballot polling. It's not the Republicans' polling. It's the internal Democratic lay of the land. That's really bad for the Democrats. Oh, my gosh, that is bad for the Democrats. And it's bad because if it's real, the Democrats really are toast. I mean, if they push back, if they push back on the defense, you get to R plus six. The R plus six generic ballot polling, remember, this is of this is of generic ballot polling. You typically have to add two points to the GOP there because of registered voters and and uh the the constituencies, how it breaks down. That gives the Republicans really an R plus eight. That's nineteen ninety four numbers. That's not 2010 numbers. That's 1994 numbers. That's uh, Republican revolution numbers. That's Gingrich revolution territory. That's how big it is. That's how bad it is for the Democrats right now. That's the lay of the land. So it's no surprise the Democrats went out and said, hey, we're all getting rid of the masks. We follow the science and the science says get rid of masks. We follow the science. The science says open up the schools and they've got a problem on that end. We're going to spend more time on this later, but they got a problem on that end too. And the problem on that end too is that the partisan progressive Democrats are livid with the Democrats for walking it all back. Got all sorts of problems there. If the Democrats go too far to respond to the Republicans, they alienate the progressives. Think about it on schools. The Democrats tell us all the time they're not engaged in critical theory, and yet when it's evidence of it is found they say, "Well, we need it." They're trying to have it multiple ways, every which way, and it's not going to work for them. It's bad. The Democrats are having a real hard time threading this needle. But the larger issue is look at their solutions. Say they want to support the police, go out aggressively and say they want to support the police. That's not what voters see on the ground. They see Democratic politicians letting people out of jail who should be in jail. They see Cori Bush and AOC and Rashida Tlaib and the like say, oh, no, we really do want to defund the police. And we're going to double down on it. Corey Bush out there made the Democrats mad and I'm going to keep saying defund the police because it's the right thing to do. And then the Democrats are going to say we oppose an open border and amnesty. Who's going to believe them? Who's going to believe him on that? And all you have to do is go take a camera down to the border and, Joe, notice, by the way, how much of the media has stopped covering the border. With the exception of Bill Malugan at Fox News, it's gone away. You don't see CNN or MSNBC or anyone else at the border. It's as if the story doesn't exist while people are still streaming across the border. It's the media giving an assist to Joe Biden Think about this. The border issue is showing up in the Democratic polling as a problem for the Democrats, and suddenly the media has stopped covering it? This is a problem for the Democrats. And the Democrats say they're going to go on offense. They say they're going to go on offense. How do you go on offense How do you go on offense when Joe Biden is so far underwater and the Democrats control everything? They point to a special election last spring in New Mexico, where Melanie Stansbury, Democrat from New Mexico, she got into Congress in a special election against a Republican candidate who had accused her of trying to defund the police and disband the border patrol. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Her district was already like D plus 20. There's no way the Republicans were going to win. But he says, we need to push back. She pushed back. She said, she's not for open borders. She's not for defunding the police. She pushed back hard. And in a D plus 20 district, guess what? Majority of voters agreed, supported her. But voters in a D plus one district, they may not. And there's a side story here. You know, the Democrats were very aggressive in their redistricting. They were very aggressive in redistricting, and they carved up a lot of districts. And those districts are D plus one, D plus two, maybe D plus five. It means the Democrats have a five point advantage. But that's based on 2020 when Donald Trump was on the ballot. He's not on the ballot this time, and the Democrats own polling. I read you that line. Their own polling registers and plays well with center-left voters. Who are center-left voters? Suburban moms. They're furious with the Democrats. You don't come between them and their children, and you don't come between them and their 401K. And right now, the Democrats are interfering on both fronts. The stock market isn't doing well. Inflation is on the rise, And their daughters, who want collegiate scholarships, now have to compete with boys pretending to be girls. And the Democrats are okay with that. May God have mercy on them because the voters will show them no mercy in November if this keeps up. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. If you would like to be on the program, you are more than welcome to call in, 877-973-7425. So... We need to have a, a talk about one of the issues I've changed my mind on. I tell people all the time that I'm I haven't really changed my views on much in the last ten years. There are a few issues here and there. Nothing fundamentally uh, has changed where I viewed conservatism along the way even as as some others might have changed. I just I, I simply don't. I'm kind of fixed. Now, as as data comes in, I may nuance and refine and stuff, but there's one issue where I am now uh, fairly well, pretty chronically, uh, I have changed my mind. I used to think disclosures were a good thing. I used to think might as well have people disclose their donations. Uh, if fair and, and transparency, all that sort of stuff was good. Uh, I have increasingly become opposed to doing that. A number of years ago in California, I remember a waitress lost her job when uh, someone leaked the donors or or they pushed out after being made public by California law, the donors to the the, uh, Proposition H, the uh, gay marriage ban in California that passed in California, and the no-hate activists uh, stormed into this restaurant and demanded they fire the woman or they would continue to protest, and she got fired because she donated money, and that was the beginning of the end of my support for donations, that's party foul. Uh, No one should lose their job, regardless of which side of the aisle they're on and which cause they support. You shouldn't lose your job because you donated to Black Lives Matters. You shouldn't lose your job because you donated to uh, a a, uh, pro-traditional marriage issue. Ottawa's Stella Luna Gelato Cafe in Ottawa, Canada was forced to close Tuesday after receiving threats when owner Tammy Giuliani's name appeared on a hacked list of Give, Send, Go donors to the Ottawa Freedom Convoy. Giuliani says she now regrets making her $250 donation on February 5th, and that staff in the shop has begun receiving threats Monday morning after her donation was posted on Twitter. We got a call from the team saying... We're getting phone calls here, Giuliani said in a phone interview. I said, what's going on? And they said, they're threatening to throw bricks through our windows. They're threatening to come and get us. We said, lock the door. We'll find out what's going on. Giuliani said she ordered the shop closed and staff to go home for their own safety, and she intends to report the threats to police. Now, here's what happened. This online donor portal was hacked, and then the, the donors were released to the public Reuters and other news outlets ran stories on the names of the people who gave money. It was hacked, hacked, stolen data. News outlets ran the information. It was put on Twitter. Twitter never turned off the accounts. And now let's go revisit the Hunter Biden situation. In Hunter Biden's situation, we don't know exactly how all the information was obtained other than a guy says he actually brought his, his hard drive into a computer shop to get it fixed, and, the, hard, and the, the owner leaked information. And Twitter shut down accounts sharing information off Hunter Biden's hard drive, saying it was inappropriate. They haven't done the same thing here. The, the data was unquestionably hacked. The media ran with it, and it was all designed to target harassment at the donors to the Freedom Convoy, and members of the press are in on the act. They're highlighting, I'm in Atlanta, a number of people in Atlanta gave money. Won't give you their names. They're patriots for doing so under the standards of the left, and yet they're going to be harassed, and the media is in on doing this. We should not be disclosing donations to political causes anymore. Hello there. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425, should you wish to be. On this here program, let's go to the phones. Garen, you're going to be up first. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. I just wanted to ask you about this, you know, concealing identity uh, and disclosure of campaign type contributions or contributions to uh, things that you're interested in giving to. And I was wondering if if you could tell me why or tell us why um, you can't just give to like a party, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party as designated funds. Um, you know it, maybe we should do that. Uh, you can certainly give money to the political parties uh for certain causes, but uh actually you know what I'm I'm stalling somewhat because it's one of those things where I know I know the answer to this and now it has come to me. So under federal law, you can give up to 25, I think it is maybe they has gone up to thirty thousand dollars to the political parties. Uh, and that's it. Uh, now, for you and me, uh, that would be uh, sufficient. Let's let's send a couple hundred dollars earmarked to this candidate or that candidate. Uh, but the way federal financing works, it's complicated because, for example, in primaries, you can't give to a party to convey to a candidate. And then once you actually give it to the party in the general election, the party and the candidate can't coordinate. So it becomes very difficult to try to tie those two together. We may need to change campaign finance law to be able to make something like that happen, because of those situations, um, it, it's federal campaign finance law complicates our ability as a people to do things like that. And, and it's so premised on disclosure and transparency fights corruption. And what it actually does is it enables uh, political opponents to go after each other. I'm increasingly convinced uh, we got to rethink uh, this whole idea of transparency given particularly on the left the weaponization of campaign donations – And people should be able to give donations to the causes they uh, care about without the mob coming for them. Now, we got to move to some other data. I'm actually fascinated by this. Are you satisfied with your life? Are you satisfied? Now, are you satisfied with the direction of the country? Overwhelmingly, people are not satisfied uh, with their direction of this country. You know, um, the United States has gotten up to 70% satisfaction uh, after George W. Bush was elected and the nation kind of rallied post 9-11, 70% of Americans said they were happy with the direction of the country. We were a united people. For most of the 80s and 90s, actually, Americans were really satisfied. And then it, it cratered in 1992 with the Great Recession then. And during Bill Clinton's tenure in office, it went up. George Bush gets elected, gets up to 70% after 9-11, and then it begins to go down all the way to 10% around the time Barack Obama was elected. And then slowly it went up to 41% in 2020. It's crashed in 2021 to 11. It's back up to 17%. That's not good, though. 17%. When Ronald Reagan became president of the United States, it was at about 17%. It got all the way up by the year 2000 to 70. And we're back to 17%. Ha! Huh. Jimmy Carter was 17%. Joe Biden at 17%. But here's something really interesting. According to Gallup, and Gallup's been doing the surveying for a very long time, 85% of Americans are satisfied with their life. Now, the high in Gallup's one, well, the highest it's ever been is 90. And the lowest it's ever been has been about 76 So people tend to be pretty satisfied, but it's actually markedly gone up in satisfaction uh, from 82% to 85% over the last couple of years. Are you satisfied with your life? Now think about this, because uh, we've had some profound implications with satisfaction. Parents today are more involved in their children's education than they have been in some time. Think about San Francisco and the parents rising up and organizing a recall campaign and getting rid of three members of the school board. The parents had enough. Think about Glenn Youngkin in Virginia, the parents rose up. By the way, a bipartisan coalition in the Virginia Senate has passed a law banning masks in schools. In the House of Representatives in Virginia, it was a party-line vote. It's gone to the governor. It's going to be signed into law if it hasn't already, and he will win on the mask issue. The Virginia Senate Democrats got the message. The Virginia House Democrats did not. The Virginia Senate Democrats were not up for re-election, and they're about to be, and they know hell is coming from the voters still. Parents are suddenly more involved in politics for the benefit of their children than they've been in years. It's a good thing. Are you satisfied with your life? So, this reminds me years ago, my wife and I, when we first got married, we lived in a little rental house in uh, Macon, Georgia, Pianono Avenue. It was a, a noisy intersection at which we lived in this little rental house. And the secret to a good marriage, I learned this very early on, in marriage. King size bed. You know, I I listen. I don't know about y'all, but I I don't want to snuggle. When I go to, I mean, I'll snuggle before I I go to sleep. But when I, when I go to sleep, I want to be off in Siberia. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't put your cold feet on me. Don't come over to something. You make me sweat. I love my wife. She makes me sweat. You know, we've got this dog. we got a golden doodle, Maggie. Maggie is a sweet, medium-sized golden doodle. I left town one time, and Christy let the dog in the bed, and they snuggled all night together, wedged themselves into each other as tight as possible. I came home. I put the dog in the crate. Half the night, the dog barked and yelped to get back in the bed. I was, oh, all right, fine. And you know what? It turned out to be a lifesaver because Christy the dog, they wedge into each other real tight, and I can be off in Siberia by myself. It's been the perfect compromise. It's been the perfect compromise. You need a king-size bed so your, your, your partner, your spouse, your significant other stays way the hell away from you when you want to go to sleep so they don't snuggle and make you sweat. I am a firm believer in leave me alone when I'm ready to go to sleep. Don't touch me. Keep away from me. I want to be cool under a pile of covers, snuggled in myself under the covers. So right before we got married, we had come to this conclusion. We lived in this rental house, and I ordered a king-size mattress from Macy's. Y'all are wondering where the story's going, aren't you? Bear with me. Well, they called and they told us it would be delivered at 10 a.m., middle of a week. I want to say it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, so I, I, I stayed home from work, slept in a little bit, was in the shower and there was a knock at the door. Now they said ten o'clock. And this was maybe nine fifteen in the morning. Like, my gosh, they're early. They're driving down from Atlanta. Traffic must have been good. I'm in the shower. And they were very clear. If you did not answer the door, it could be a week before you got your king size mattress. They were coming with the frame, the mattress, the box springs, all of it. So I jumped out of the shower. I mean, it's just a bunch of dudes carrying this mattress down there. I jump out of the shower. I mean, I'm pouring water everywhere. I got a towel wrapped around me. I run down, open the door, and as I open the door, the towel drops. And it's three little Jehovah's Witness ladies there with the watchtower it was not the mattress. <laughs> They never, I never, the Jehovah's Witnesses have never come back to my house. They never have. This is a true story. I'm not making this up. They've never come back to my house. There's a puddle of water, there's a towel, and they dropped the watchtower and ran. And on the cover of the watchtower was something about satisfaction and being happy in life. It's a perfect tie into this story. Now, a lot of Americans were... We're not in the Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of people have moved out of the church and they're, they're not in the church and they're trying to find satisfaction in the world. And interestingly enough, a lot of people right now are finding satisfaction in the world. Now, I did, I, I, full confession, I did not read, though I felt so terrible. I mean, literally, these people, they nearly fell off the front porch. It was so terrible. And then the mattress guys did show up and we all had a great laugh. Um, I felt so bad, though. But nonetheless, they left behind the watchtower, and I didn't read the watchtower. I really didn't. I didn't read it, put it in the trash. But satisfaction, what are what is your solution to satisfaction? You know what Gallup finds in its survey of American satisfaction is that people are more involved in their families' lives there's this thing, they're, they're calling it the great resignation. Have you heard about this? This is the phrase they've given to it, the great resignation. People are resigning from companies literally actually to spend more time with their families. You know, normally when someone says, I, I, I'm leaving to spend more time with my family, is because they got caught in a scandal and they got to get out of Dodge. They don't really want to spend more time with their family. They got into scandal because they hadn't spent any time with their family. But now, I mean, legitimately, really, people are leaving high-paying jobs to spend time with their family. Moms are giving up their lower wages than typically the dads because of their life choices to stay home and help the kids and possibly homeschool. Homeschool curriculum sales are through the roof right now. Parental involvement in schooling is more than it has been. There has been a, a, a despair and a malaise, as even Kamala Harris says, in the economy right now, and people's despair about the country. There have been people thinking we need some sort of strong man in the country, some sort of Caesar, or maybe we need a great divorce, secession, a civil war. We got to fight each other. People aren't happy. People don't like the direction of the country. They don't like Joe Biden. They don't like the economy. They don't like any of this stuff, but they're starting to realize one of the, the upsides of the pandemic was they were forced to stay home with their family and in being forced to stay home with their family. They were forced to figure out how to be a family. When it's very easy in this day and age to be a family without actually being one, you can work all the time, go off with your friends. I sometimes feel guilty that I travel a lot and spend too much time with friends and not enough time with my family. I've been thinking about that lately. But by and large, people have realized They like their families. They want to spend more. They actually literally do want to spend more time with their families. They want to rearrange their life and their priorities, and they realize they don't have to make the million-dollar-a-year job. Yeah, it makes them a little more comfortable, but the amount of work that they're doing, it's not worth it. you got loved ones who have died of a virus in the past two years. Nothing could stop it. People seem to lose their mind. People are looking at their families thinking, this is where I find my satisfaction. I am more mindful probably than I should be because my uncle pointed it out that my son is the last of the men in our family. And if he has girls and no boys, the family name goes away. And I shouldn't dwell on anything. I realize I I should not dwell on anything like that, but it's it's my uh, my dad's brother had a boy and a girl. The boy had two girls. My dad had me. I had my son. Uh, And so my son is the last of the Erickson's. I'm the last of the Eric Erickson's in the family. We went with Gunner for my son. And I sometimes think, man, I, 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 I got to spend more time with my kids without him giving me a concussion on the golf course and things like that. And there are times where I, I get so – Crowds, I had to give a speech this weekend. I'm, I Believe it or not, I'm not really an extrovert. I'm pretty much an introvert. I can talk to you guys and sound like this because I am literally in a room with Jim who runs the board and me, a microphone, and a camera, and none of you are around. So I can sound like I like you without having to hang out with you. <laughs> I just – crowds. If I'm on a stage talking to people, I'm fine, but wading through a crowd, it exhausts me. I had to give a speech on Saturday. I haven't quite recovered from 500 college kids. but i too i think i'm satisfied with life personally with my family covid has made us be a team in a way we didn't have to be before particularly with my wife's health we've had to uh, the kids when they were little watch wonder pets what's going to work teamwork we've had to we've had to be all in this all hands on deck together we've had to be a little more involved with our kids school i've had to be a little more involved with the kids as they're getting as they're getting older and They actually were blessed. Our kids want actually time with us. They don't hate us. They don't want to keep us away. People are satisfied generally. It's showing up. 85% of Americans satisfied with their life. They're not satisfied with the country. Now, here's the problem for the Democrats. There is a political angle here. It's not I don't know that it's one we need to dwell on a lot, but here's this People's Lives Together collectively is the body politic. And if the body politic is only 17% satisfied, they're going to want that aspect of their life that they're unsatisfied with to rise in conformity with where they are in their personal life. Now, it's never actually going to completely happen. We should be honest here, but they do want it to reflect in some way more because of their family. And when they're that dissatisfied with the world around them and politics and they're that satisfied with their family around them, they're going to want to make changes in politics. And that conforms to all the other polling we've seen. It's going to have a really terrible effect on the Democrats when they get to November in the midterms because they are in charge of everything. And so the voters will hold it against them that their whole life is more satisfying to them now than it was two years ago, except in politics. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on this here program. Glad to have you with me. All right. I I so I This is one of the funniest things. Um Rush Limbaugh and I have had this conversation before. The number of pilots who listen. Now, I I know, uh, look, I'm broadcasting on the most listened to talk station. It's my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, and you've got Delta Airlines and Southwest major hubs, and now you've got um, Allegiant and uh, Spirit. looks like they're going to merge and make a a big hub in Atlanta. And the number of pilots who listen, it, it always amazes me there's a story about an American airlines flight going from New York to Los Angeles and an unruly passenger tried to storm the cockpit. And when he couldn't open that, he tried to open the main door. Now you can't open the door on a plane at altitude because of the way plane doors are designed. Uh, The air pressure inside the plane is so much greater than outside. It keeps you from being able to open the door, but he was trying Is trying very hard, trying to get into the cockpit. The passengers had to ambush him. One of the flight attendants grabbed a coffee pot and began to hit the guy over the head. They took him down, but the plane had to make an emergency landing. They listed it as a level four emergency, which is the highest level. I don't know that you guys know this, uh, and I only know it from having talked to pilots, that planes are far more maneuverable. The jets we fly are far more maneuverable than you may realize. I've been on an emergency landing one time when someone went into cardiac arrest. I I know, and that was not this level of emergency. The plane fell 30,000 feet in less than eight minutes. About 5,000 feet a minute, they thought the plane was crashing. It went down so fast. But actually, they can do that. They're perfectly able to do that. Fascinating dynamics here. But uh, God bless the pilots and the flight attendant. And the passengers who took that guy down and hauled him off, he was apparently uh, had a middle break and went super paranoid. Greetings and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. My show, the phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on it, we got to move on to news. There's polling. My goodness. Uh, so confession is good for the soul, I suppose. It's directly related to this. I I I, I, I want to confess I got a very nice email from a lady who is a listener in Minnesota, and she said, stop apologizing about covering Georgia. It's the center of the political universe. We're all interested. I I struggle sometimes. How can I make Georgia stuff relevant? Because, I mean, for 11 years, I did evening drive time in Atlanta, and then for a year did a morning show, 9 to noon, that was just in Georgia, and now stretch my legs and Across the nation. I don't want to bore people in Dubuque with stuff that happens in Dublin, Georgia. Not that anything ever happens in Dublin, mind you, Uh, but (laughs) except for St. Patrick's Day, then Katie bar the door. My goodness. Nonetheless, there is news out of Georgia that is of national import for all of you will be interested to know. And, And this is a fascinating thing. Trafalgar Group, their Republican polling firm, they got hired by a local news station in Atlanta, Georgia, the Fox Five station. And they were asked to poll Brian Purdue versus or Brian Purdue, Brian Kemp versus David Purdue. Keep in mind when David Purdue secured Donald Trump's endorsement to run against Brian Kemp. He produced an internal poll making his case to run that he was at 52% against Brian Kemp in his poll. No public poll has showed that. In fact, the latest poll done by a Republican group for Fox 5 shows that Brian Kemp is at 49.1% and Purdue is at 39%. This is important because Vernon Jones is out of the race. Vernon Snuggles Jones jumped into the race. He was a Democrat, a pro-abortion Democrat, who flipped a switch and overnight became a pro-life Republican. It was a miracle. He found Jesus in 24 hours. He found Jesus, and he loves the babies now, and we can't be killing them babies it's just, it was a miracle. I mean, he went from being anti school choice to we got to let them babies out of school into the schools they won't. We got to protect the baby. It's just, it's remarkable. And people fell for that. Beep. Oh, he's, he says he's pro-life. You can understand. You can understand how people, why the extended warranty schemes, because Vernon Jones exists as a political candidate. You can understand why people actually get the extended warranty phone calls because there are clearly enough rubes out there who fall for the, we would like to talk to you about your extended warranty. I mean, the guy was literally a pro abortion Democrat, sexual harasser, accused of rape. And switch flip, I'm a pro life Republican, and all the babies need school choice too. Oh, Vernon, we love you. We, we always knew you were pro. I mean, who are the people who believe that crap? I don't know. Don't email me, people. I, I, I don't care, because definitionally, you're nuts. Mr. Erickson, you're disrespecting your audience. Ah, they're not my audience. They're nuts. I don't, I don't understand how anybody could do this. So this poll – I get distracted. I, I just – I'm sorry, folks. It really does boggle my mind that Vernon Jones could get 10 percent of the primary vote in the Republican Party, and a lot of polls showed that. And the man literally was a Democrat, had been a Democrat for life, had voted against every piece of pro-life legislation and every school choice piece of legislation while in the legislature, leaves the legislature – Begins humping Donald Trump's leg, declares himself a Republican, and suddenly reverses himself on every position he's ever held in life. And 10% of the Republican electorate is like, Vernon, Vernon, he's our man. You know, as an aside to the aside, I promise I'll get back to the main point here. As an aside to the aside, you read the book of Revelation and the final Antichrist— and you're like, how can so many people fall for that? Someone who's not Jesus but claims to be Jesus or has Jesus-like powers. And, and even people in the church embraced this this false God. How on earth could people be so stupid? And then you see Verdon Jones got 10% of the polls in the Republican primary. Like, oh, that's how. Back to the main point. Trafalgar Group for Fox 5 has done a poll in Georgia between David Perdue and Brian Kemp, Vernon Jones out of the race, and Brian Kemp is now almost to 50%. If he gets to 50%, there's no runoff. The entire case that David Perdue made is that he could unite the Republican Party in Georgia that was divided, and in uniting the party beat Stacey Abrams, he has united the party behind Brian Kemp. I know there are people who support David Perdue. I just can't find them in the real world. They're like the ten percent who voted for Vernon Jones in the poll before he dropped out. I know they exist. Institutionally, fundamentally, I know they exist. A couple of them have emailed the show very angrily at me. And they're all it's all about the stolen election. Now, interestingly enough, there are some data trends. The people who support Donald Trump have fallen in the Republican Party to about 60% now who want him to run again. Everybody supports him, but run again is down to 60%. And a lot of that I suspect is shallow support. That is the support of people who want pollsters to know we love the guy but privately think, please, God, don't run again because you'd only have four years when we could get another guy who potentially could have eight. I think there's some of that there. But there are races – where Trump could have an impact. In Georgia, here's my theory in Georgia. In Georgia, you've got, so in, in Georgia's elections are off your elections. So governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general, uh, labor commissioner, ag commissioner, um, insurance commissioner. And Trump is endorsed in a couple of these races. He's endorsed in the governor's race. He's endorsed in the lieutenant governor's race. He's endorsed in the Senate race. He um, has not endorsed in the secretary of state's race, I think, but it's basically a vote for someone other than Raffensperger in his mind, the current secretary of state. I've been told that the chairman of the state party is trying to find someone to run against the popular attorney general. The, the Republican Party chairman, I've I've been up in Atlanta having meetings with members of the legislature and, and whatnot, and, and all of them are telling me that their party chairman is actively working against the incumbent Republicans. Uh, hopefully, there will be hell to pay if the incumbents get reelected. Uh, apparently, trying to find a challenger to Chris Carr, the popular attorney, very popular attorney general in the state, who is a Republican. Here's my suspicion is what's going to happen is Brian Kemp is so popular with the base that he's doing so he's going to get con- – it looks like constitutional carry is going to pass. It looks like school choice could pass. The Parents' Bill of Rights and the Transgender uh, Ban in sports are going to pass. Most of his major initiatives will pass. He's gotten the election reform package passed. And most of the legislature, maybe a handful of Republicans, you would be able to count on both hands, won't support him. But almost all of them are going to rally around him the moment the session is over. And you'll have a united field. And my suspicion is the voters will be there too. And what they'll do is they'll say, you know what? Since I'm voting for Kemp, I'll give I'll give Trump everybody else. He got it wrong. They'll think about it just like they did in, in Alabama with uh, Doug Jones got elected because they're like, yeah, we really, Trump, we love you, but we can't go with Roy Moore. And so Doug Jones got elected. They'll do that a similar situation in the primary here. Eh, we love you, Trump, but you got it wrong on Purdue. We'll give you the others. We'll give you Herschel Walker. So that may hurt the other Trump candidates. But Kemp's his own man now, and that actually helps Kemp in the general as well. Because remember, in Georgia, all the polling shows about 49 to 50% of voters are more likely to vote against you if Trump supports you, and only about 20% are more likely to vote for you in the general. The dynamics in Georgia have changed, and the most of the Republican incumbents know it. But there are areas where Trump can have a real and positive impact. Missouri, being one of them, Merrick Greitens, is running – for the Senate. Eric Greitens was forced out of the governor's mansion under the threat of impeachment. Josh Hawley is taking the lead in trying to stop Eric Greitens. For those of you who don't understand what's going on here and why it's so bad, a woman testified under oath that Eric Greitens, the governor of the state of Missouri, tied the woman up in a basement, stripped her naked, took photos of her to use as blackmail in their extramarital affair, and then forced her to have oral sex with him. Greitens does not deny it. He says it was consensual. And for reasons no one can fathom, Greitens has a leg of support. Some people think he got a raw deal. And there are a pile of people running. Eric Schmidt, the Attorney General, Billy Long, uh, a congressman, uh, Vicki Hartzler, also a congresswoman. Josh Hawley has rallied around Vicki Hartzler. Now, it's notable here because Hawley is the attorney general who investigated Greitens and after his investigation was the first Republican of the state to say Greitens needs to go or be impeached. If Hawley can convince Trump to back Hartzler, who's a good candidate, by the way, if Hawley can convince Trump to back Hartzler, Trump may be able to unite everyone in Missouri like he's done in Nevada with Eric Laxalt, or Adam Laxalt. Trump, I am told, and media sources are reporting through the Politico and elsewhere, and I've been told this myself, that uh, Donald Trump is starting to realize that some of his advisors gave him bad advice on candidates. And in some cases, he's not able to pull it off. I mean, go back to David Perdue in Georgia. He got the Trump endorsement. He expected to have the Trump money come with it, and no one's giving him money. He's raised $1.2 million. He's got cash on hand of $870,000. Uh, Brian Kemp raised $2.5 million in the same time period and has like $12 million cash on hand. Trump, I think, is getting some bad advice. Because you got to keep in mind, some of these people are pay to play. Hey, you give me some money, I know Donald Trump, I'll go convince him to give an endorsement. And they don't care that they've got a good candidate or not, they got a check. And Donald Trump is a smart enough businessman to realize he's getting played by some of these people, and he's realized it, in some cases, unfortunately, too late. It's a problem. Take Mo Brooks in Alabama. President Trump endorsed Mo Brooks, and now he's very unhappy about it. Brooks has not been able to lock in MAGA support. Brooks is actually trying to get Jeff Sessions' endorsement as well. Getting Jeff Sessions' endorsement along with Donald Trump's endorsement is going to do nothing but alienate him from uh, Donald Trump. So it's very notable that Trump has invited Katie Britt to show up at at Mar-a-Lago. Katie Britt was a staffer for Richard Shelby, the retiring senator. She wants to run. Trump's made his endorsement already, and yet he's letting her come visit. That's a pretty big signal that he thinks he probably messed up with the Mo Brooks endorsement in Alabama. And a lot of people on the ground say he's telling people there he shouldn't have endorsed Brooks. The president of the United States, Donald Trump, not Joe Biden, still has a lot of clout within the Republican Party. If he makes wise endorsements, it helps him build a case for 2024. But if all of his endorsements go down in flames, I mean, right now you got the Charm Pennell situation in, in Pennsylvania. You've got the David Perdue situation in Georgia. You may have the Herschel Walker situation if there's enough dirt dumped on him out there. you got the Mo Brooks situation. He needs some good, solid wins, and he's gotten some bad advice. He could jump into the Missouri race with Vicky Hartzler lock her down with Josh Hawley, shut down Missouri from Eric Greitens and save the Republican Party there. And everybody will give him a pat on the back and an attaboy for doing that. But he has, I'm afraid, been given some bad advice from people on the ground with political motivations. I mean, take, for example, Greitens hired Kimberly Guilfoyle to run his super PAC as a way to try to lock, shut Trump out of the race. Was smart on Greitens' part. But that man is not going to win a general election when the woman comes forward and explains what he did to her and that it was not consensual. Trump could come in and clean that up, and he should, and hopefully he will, and hopefully the people who have been giving the bad advice, he'll realize they've been giving him bad advice, and he will shut them down as well. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Let's go to the phones. Rita, you are going to be up next. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I just want to say thank you for the show today. You have had me laughing Well, I'm glad. so much over your comments about Vernon. And I have been a longtime listener, and I don't always agree with what you say, but today has been wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Rita. I appreciate it. Listen to that. My call screener decided he needed to let somebody in to say something nice about me. <laughs> Gary, you're going to be up next. Welcome, Gary. How are you?
1: All right, Eric, I love you, too. Thank you. And I've talked to you a couple of times, but I just wanted to say something about Rush, please. Sure. Take a couple of minutes. Um,
0: When you say a small business, I am a small business of one man for 34 years. Wow. I'm a sign painter. And I used to live in West Palm Beach. I'm in Flowery Branch now. Well, of course, uh, about two weeks. Rush started August 1st, 88. And I started my business August 14th of 88. And I was going to one of my jobs, and I saw a painter, a house painter, listening to some headphones. So I said, wow, I think I'll get some headphones so I could entertain myself. Well, I found Rush, and I've been listening to him for 34 years, Mm. two weeks after I started the business. Yep. You know, I remember I was in... I was uh, driving through rural Alabama. My dad was actually looking for Paul Harvey. We were on our father-son road trip to check out colleges in my 11th grade Paul year, Harvey. and we were looking for Paul Harvey, and we found this voice, wasn't quite Paul Harvey, and we were just captured um, and became listeners ever since. I guess that would have been, gosh, ninety one, ninety two, somewhere in there, and uh, I mean, my goodness. Um, yep, it's just phenomenal. Gary, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it um it it's just what an icon yo i i'm really hard pressed to think who the pioneers of industries like uh ray Kroc uh, wasn't really the the founder of mcdonald's he bought it but he was certainly the kind of the the model founder for franchises everything came after him uh Troy cathy and the chicken sandwich wars he pioneered the chicken sandwich that's ubiquitous today. Every restaurant has one. Rush Limbaugh. He saved AM talk radio for sure, revitalized FM talk format. And, you know, he was so committed to broadcast radio, he would never put his voice on satellite. Uh, never never wanted to. In fact, was very insistent to me uh, that I should never, ever, ever do satellite radio. Um, I, I actually would. Uh, if given the chance to do it, uh, but he was very insistent. No way, no how. Um, he, he loves broadcast terrestrial real radio and saved AM radio, revitalized FM talk as well, and started uh, the talk radio industry. I mean, left and right. And, you know, people on the left, they can't do it. They have NPR. They rely on a government subsidy to do their radio, and it's garbage, boring radio anyway. Why can't they do it? Well, they lack a sense of humor. They just can't laugh about anything. Uh, It's just it's not funny. It's not humorous. Rush got that. Ultimately, he said he was an entertainer. You got to entertain, people. You got to entertain with your voice on radio to be successful. Hello there. It's me, Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, to the phones, I go, Jim, you're going to be up next. Welcome. Well, thank you. Well, this whole David Perdue thing has got me a bit confused. Perdue's re-election effort was basically torpedoed by Donald Trump. And now Perdue is acting like he's in Trump's corner. I voted
1: for Trump both times. I uh, Voted for Purdue, and now I'm scratching my head, wondering: D- Does Purdue really
0: look like the toady? Is he really the toady that he appears to be in my eyes? And that's not a term I ever associated with uh, Purdue Me either. And, and I, you know, I don't think he is, and I like him. And, and I'm I'm befuddled by this because you know, a month before he decided to run, he was telling people to support Brian. Um, what changed in a month? He should he, have. Yeah, nothing changed other than he went to Mar a Lago and got pressured into doing it. Uh, I mean, I I am told, and and I'll I'll say this. I, I'm told that. I mean, for the first time ever that you've got a real division there, like Sonny Perdue is going to become the chancellor of the university system in Georgia, thanks to Brian Kemp. Uh, His family is urging people to stick with Brian. Uh, You've got Alec Poitavit, who was David Perdue's campaign chairman in 2014, is with Brian Kemp. Um, Eric Tannenblatt, who's been a big fundraiser for David Perdue, is with uh, Brian Kemp. I mean, all the major people who have been aligned with him. Uh, You know, I talked to a guy the other day. Who statewide elected official calls people a lot around the state and says he has not in in he calls a ton of people every day, and he has gotten maybe ten, maybe he said he could take off one shoe uh, to count all the people in the last few months he's talked to who are supportive and and he talks to to dozens and dozens and dozens of people every day. It it, it makes no sense to me. Now, I will tell you there's some breaking news that's happening here. Jim, thanks for the call. Uh, Donald Trump has just announced he's going to do a $3,000 person fundraiser at Mar-a-Lago for David Perdue. That will help him raise some money. He's having trouble raising money and getting support. He'll have a super PAC. Uh, The polling does show the more people know that Trump supports him, the better he does. But at this point, who doesn't know? Who's not paying attention to the race right now to realize that? That's part of the problem here. All right. To the folds, we go. Claudia, you're going to be up next. Welcome, yes, Claudia. Sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, Eric. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak with you today. I am so excited to have an actual conversation with you. All right. <laughs> Um, My comment has to do with Trudeau and the trucker's convoy up in Canada. Mm -hmm. I was telling your screener that I really think that Trudeau is going to end up shooting himself in both feet because of the fact that if they go through with their threats to cancel their driver's licenses,
1: take away their insurance coverage, tow their rigs away, throw them in jail, and fine them $100,000, who is he going to have left? To run the supply chain for him, bringing the goods from all over Canada, throughout Canada, and down to the United States, he won't have any truck drivers left.
0: Right, you're absolutely right. Uh, he, he's he's picked a fight terribly that he cannot win, and there's there's no way that he can back down. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you said this, Claudia, because there's a there's a story out there's a website uh, called Doomberg and they he makes a very good point about how per, how Trudeau doubled down let me read you part of this for many people dealing with the restrictions imposed on them their children and their businesses because of our political response to covid-19 has made it about them it is the heart of the freedom convoy in canada and why we have spent so much time on twitter commenting on the stunning events unfolding under Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's watch. At a time when the severity of the virus is waning and many countries are finally pulling back from what history will undoubtedly judge to be ineffective, unscientific, and likely scandalous countermeasures, Trudeau doubled down, knowingly picking a fight with Canadian truckers over vaccine mandates. We won't rehash the arguments and facts here as the details are widely known. Instead, we focus on the complete collapse of Trudeau's leadership tactics, beginning with his now infamous framing of the onslaught that was headed his way. Quote, The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa, who are holding unacceptable views that they are expressing, do not represent the views of Canadians who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other, is the best way to ensure our rights, our freedoms, our values as a country. By positioning the protesters as those who fly racist flags, as a fringe minority with unacceptable views, Trudeau committed a fatal error. He left himself no face saving exit from the imminent and predictable collapse or crisis that would befall him. No respectable politician can strike a deal with such undesirables after libeling them in the way that he did. The only path left was to crush them. Amateur hour indeed. He really, really has done a terrible job. He really has done. An awful, awful job. And the press, to a degree, has been complicit in helping him, as the press often has. The state-run media, my gosh, even the American media has got on. Remember when when Trump was president, they kept referring to Fox News as the state-run media? These people are the state-run media. It's been embarrassing to watch. It's been embarrassing to see them do these sorts of things. They have essentially—what is the definition of fascism? The government's control or use of corporate powers to achieve the government's ends. That's fascism. A fascist government is a government that bullies and cajoles and pressures the private sector to conform to the needs of the government where the government sets the goals for the country. The prime minister of Canada— has forced the issue with the banks to take the money from the truckers and anyone who supports the truckers to punish them. He's allowed individuals who supported the truckers to be fired from their jobs. He's operating as a fascist. And, you, and I don't say that lightly, by the way. If, if you listen to this program, i I bemoan people calling other people evil or calling them fascist or communist when they're not. He's a fascist. He's operating as one at least. He is at heart a communist, Justin Trudeau is possibly the son of Fidel Castro. If you've never heard that rumor, you need to dig into it. You know he's more than once praised the chinese and and uh President Xi of China as a model government. As a model country, Justin Trudeau is at heart a communist. And he only got support from a third of the public. He's prime minister because he's in a coalition government with several other parties, some of whom will probably keep bailing him out. Not necessarily a good thing that they do. It's it's a sad situation for the truckers. We should support them here, though, if we can. My gosh. You know, when I was little, I, I used to, when I was little, you know, you, you make the little pull your hand down thing as the 18 wheelers going by and they honk their horns at you. You stand on the side of the road. You do that. You get the 18 wheelers honkers. I will never forget one time. <laughs> we, were, we were on an interstate somewhere and we were in rush hour traffic. And, you know, I, I don't know when it happens. But there is an age you reach, and I have reached it. I y'all I, I don't know what, what what is the science behind this? You reach an age where you have to turn the radio down in order to see on the highway. I don't I don't get it. But you gotta turn the radio down. I guess it's to I, I guess for me it's to focus. But you hit that age and suddenly, turn the radio down. I'm trying to pay attention to the road. Why can't you pay attention to the road with the radio? I have no idea, but I've now reached the end. Oh my God, I've become my parents. And we're on the road and, and I remember distinctly we're uh no, no, no that was different. we I think we're we're in we're we're I think I wanna say we're in New Orleans for this. And my mom is driving. I think we've dropped my dad off somewhere. He had to go offshore to the Gulf of Mexico for his job or something because I was young. And I remember pulling down my hand as the 18-wheeler came by. Bob! I thought my mother was going to climb out of her skin and eat me alive. She was so livid. Holy cow. <laughs> oh, I still remember – do you all remember your parents when you you would take these road trips and you and your your brothers and sisters, you'd be in the back of the car and they'd start yelling at you and demanding you turn the music down or be quiet so they could pay attention to the road? (laughs) We used to – when I was a kid, we would come home from Dubai in the summer and my dad's family was spread out, South Carolina, uh, Florida, and they would always rent like a giant car. This was before really the rise of SUVs. So they'd get a big Cadillac. And my two sisters and me would have to be in the backseat. We'd be miserable. And my dad's one of those people where we got to get up at four o'clock in the morning. We got to in the traffic. And you get out and you try to get on the highway. And so it's you and the open road and the 18 wheelers. And nowadays, you know, they got to pull over in the middle of the night because they can only drive so many hours a day. But we get out there, and my gosh, my dad to this day, he wants to be on the road before the sun comes up. So you can drive east right into the sunlight, coming up and blind you. But that's okay, kids. We can turn down the radio and see again. (laughs) I've never understood that. And now I do the same thing. But the the eighteen wheelers the, the, the tractor trailers, these are the people who make our country great. They get the food to our grocery stores. They give the electronics to Best Buy. I got to go to Best Buy. And now what, what do we do? In California, we tell them if your truck's too old, I'm sorry, you can't drive here. I'm sorry, you've been on the road too many hours. Pull over and go to sleep on the side of the road and hope Jack the Ripper's not outside your cab. I mean my goodness the burdens we put on 18. Now I realize to some degree it's safe. Now listen, you're talking to a guy who was driving down driving down the highway one time and an 18 wheeler's tire exploded and nearly took out my windshield at 70 miles an hour. It was awful. It was scared the mess out of me. But how are the how are freaking truck drivers the enemy? All because they're standing up for their freedoms? You, you, and by the way, you can disagree, but I bet if you're someone who disagrees, you were perfectly fine with the Black Lives Matter protests. And you'll say, Erickson, you didn't support the Black Lives Matter protests. Actually, if you ever listened to my radio program, I supported the George Floyd protests. I did not support riots, vandalism, shattered windows, firebomb businesses. I didn't support that. But if you want to protest, it is your right to protest. And I don't like the truckers tying up the traffic. I think the better solution would be for them, just don't drive. Don't show up for work. Stay home. Let them feel the crippling effects on the economy by your lack of presence. I mean, that's what the left does in this country. Of course, now, maybe they've seen it. Remember the, the all the women stay home for equal pay day. All the women stay home. I got on Twitter the day all the women stayed home, and I was it was great until the women started showing up. I mean, the only good thing about the day all the women stayed home instead of going to work was it was safe to drive.
1: <laughs>
0: Mister Erickson, I can't believe you, you sexist misogynist! <laughs> I teased because I love, but they should have. The truckers should have stayed home, and unlike the women, they would have actually done it. Just stay home and, and show your impact on the economy by your refusal to participate. I don't like them tying up traffic any more than I like the stupid environmentalists super gluing their butts to the, to the highway, which they did in, in Germany, and they've done it in New York too. But I support their right to protest. How are they – how are the truckers the bad guys here? Justin Trudeau could not eat without the truckers delivering food to his grocery store, and he's made them the villain – And they're not the villains either now. It's the small business owner and the middle-class worker who doesn't make a lot of money, who gave them 20 bucks to help their cause, who's who's the bad guy here. They're not the bad guys here. They are the people who control the country and hopefully will rise up and rectify the situation. Hello there. I am so far off the beaten path of everything we were going to talk about today. That's one reason I love this show. I got asked— just as a curiosity, I, I got asked, do, do you have like people who sit around and tell you what to talk about? Nope. For better or worse, <laughs> it's whatever I want to talk about. I, I did have a bunch of people email me yesterday. I was going to do it anyway and say, please honor Rush in, in some way today. And I absolutely, positively uh, would have done that anyway. I, I I should devote more time to telling my stories about Rush and, and making him mad. I think I've told that story before, but it's all me. Now, the downside of today is that I'm also in studio and had a bunch of meetings this morning and have had to scramble together all the other stuff I was going to talk about. And now I've, I've taken so many calls, I've gotten it out of order, but that's okay. I am what you call a professional and I can muddle my way through this. So now we have to talk about masks The CDC says it had no intention of changing its mask guidance and now is going to change its mask guidance. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it comes on the heels of new polling that shows the Democrats are making Democrats mad about the mask issue. And they're split in two ways. The moderate Democrats are furious they still have to wear them. And the progressives are furious that people have to take them off. I got to tell you. Now, listen. Dear friends and employers who send me my paycheck, whose hands I dare not bite. I am in your office today. And there are wear your mask signs everywhere. This may be the only place in Atlanta, Georgia, where people are still wearing masks. My wife's oncologist for lung cancer has told her she can come out of the masks now. That Omicron is over. And we can go back to church and just be reasonable, prudent, and cautious. And if you feel sick, stay home. In the bathroom at my office, there's a big sign on the door, one person at a time. In a bathroom that has a urinal and two stalls, one person at a time. What if you come in in a hurry? Because, I mean, you've been to the local taco stand. Your stomach's making that sound. You know that sound? It sounds like a, a pigeon and a raccoon fighting each other at the pit of your stomach, and suddenly the pressure builds, and you run, and you go, oh, my God, there's somebody in there. <sighs> I would rather that person violate the intent of the sign than soil the carpet because they can't get down the hall to the other bathroom, and it's a hike in this office. To go from one bathroom to the other, it's like driving from Washington to Manhattan in rush hour traffic. It's a hike. It's time to reopen. I say it lovingly to those who write my paycheck, you know I love you and your autograph that comes every two weeks on that paycheck. We can get out of the mask now. My wife's doctor says so, and he's an expert. I also was talking to another doctor uh, the other day who actually is a actual real certified expert who I have relied on. Who says, yeah, the the CDC at this point is losing credibility with everyone. And it's a bad look for them to have uh, leaked it yesterday. Rochelle Walensky's call saying she has no intention of dropping mask guidance. Dr. Fauci is doubling down on uh, no more. uh, The masks need to stay on kids. And now the White House is like, ah, pandemic's over. We saw the polling. Everybody get your mask off. Get it off now. When can we get them off on airplanes? That's what I want to know. Texas has filed a lawsuit about masks on airplanes. It's time to get those off too, Ed. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be a part of this year' programming. Glad to have you. Uh, those of you on the phones need to be patient because i gotta I got to dive into this story. There's actually uh, a story that just dropped at CNN that is deeply relevant to it. Uh, let me begin with the CNN story. Here's the headline. It's by Michael Warren and Gabby Orr. I know Michael Warren, great reporter. Uh, actually, conservative, used to be at the Weekly Standard, and good guy. Glad they hired him at CNN. He's a really brilliant reporter. Trump backed Purdue, struggles in Republican primary challenge in Georgia. Listen to this. This is CNN. I'm sure they'll attack him, the liberals at CNN, but listen to the story. David Perdue kicked off his campaign for governor of Georgia with an emphatic endorsement from former President Donald Trump. But since then, his primary challenge to unseat Brian Kemp, the Republican governor Trump loves to hate, has been a big flop. Perdue, a former U.S. senator, has so far raised a fraction of what Kemp has in his campaign war chest very few Republican elected officials, operatives, donors, and activists in Georgia have abandoned Kemp in favor of Purdue, and limited public polling isn't promising either. I think Purdue's on life support and knows it, says one neutral GOP operative who requested anonymity. The Kemp momentum is palpable. The Purdue campaign is drawing attention from around the country, in part as a test case on the GOP's tolerance for Trump's vendettas. The former president remains exceedingly popular within the party, but his relentless focus on the 2020 election may have put him a beat behind Republicans who have moved on to other issues. At the same time, Georgia Republicans are eager to hold the governor's office in a general election against Stacey Abrams, who has only risen in national prominence since her loss in 2018 to Brian Kemp. Democrats recently won not only the presidential election, but also both U.S. Senate seats in the state, handing Biden a majority, to advance his agenda while humiliating the GOP in a once reliably red state. Since he launched his campaign in December, Purdue, who lost a runoff to the Democrat, John Ossoff, who dresses up like Star Wars characters, has struggled to bring aboard the network of political donors and operatives that have supported him and his cousin, former Governor Sonny Purdue, in the past. One such figure is Alec Poinavent, a former Georgia Republican Party chairman during Purdue's governorship, and a national party activist who chaired David Perdue's successful Senate bid in 2014. Despite Point of It's close ties to the Perdue family, he's supporting Kemp's reelection. Even GOP Senate candidate Herschel Walker has remained neutral in the gubernatorial primary. And although he raised more than $100 million in a Senate bid in 2020, this time David Perdue has not been able to translate Trump's endorsement into financial or political backing. Purdue has reported raising only $1.2 million, about half of the $2.5 million Kemp reported in the same period. Purdue reported cash on hand of less than 900000 Kemp has $12.7 million cash on hand. Now, that's from CNN. That's about Georgia. But this translates nationally the state of play between the Democrats and the Republicans in the nation. Voters' opinions about Joe Biden's handling of the pandemic are a big anchor weighing on the Democrats. Just 39% of registered voters approve of his job performance, according to the latest political poll, 57% disapprove. Those numbers, by the way, mirror the CNN poll that some Democrats argued were the outlier. Democratic governors are rushing to get ahead now. Think about this. It is not a coincidence. Think of all of the things Democrats have flipped on in the last two weeks. They flipped on masks. They flipped on vaccine mandates. They flipped on school closures. They flipped on masking of children. They flipped on uh, vaccine pressure on children. They've sided with parents over school boards. And by the way, breaking news, this is happening right now. The Biden administration has just decided COVID-19 is no longer considered a crisis. That's just happened. They've just talked about it at the White House. COVID-19, no longer a crisis as of today, just an, just an endemic virus. Big, massive messaging changes. What's happened in the last two weeks? The Democratic Governors Association met behind closed doors on January 31st and February 1st and presented confidential polling to the Democrats about their loss in Virginia and the state of play for 2022. It is not a coincidence that after that briefing, Democratic governors started rejecting mask mandates and siding with parents. In the last 96 hours, Democrats in the House and Senate have met with their pollsters behind closed doors and seen the lay of the land and how things work. As I have mentioned earlier, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee says if the Democrats don't do something different, they're looking at an R-plus-14 tidal wave of Republicans in November. We've never in the history of this country seen an R-plus-14 wave. There's another problem for the Democrats, and it's a significant laughable problem. Uh, Charlie and I and Philip, we were on the phone this morning, and all of us were laughing about this. 49% of voters want mask mandates removed. 43% say it's too early for states to rescind the mask mandates. 65% of those people who don't want the mask mandate gone are Democrats. And the Democrats are furious with the Democratic elected officials for getting rid of the mask mandate. So in order to get the votes of the public at large, independents, moderates, Republicans, they have to alienate their Democratic base. You alienate your Democratic base, they're not going to show up for you and the Republicans and the independents and the moderates are still so pissed off at you, they're not going to vote for you. This isn't good. By the way, a plurality of voters still feel local government should be encouraging the vaccines and masks in indoor spaces, but that's a seven-point drop since September. 49% now, less than a majority. At the height of the pandemic, anti-masking only showed up in Republicans, and even independent voters overwhelmingly stood with the Democrats. Not anymore. And then, I mean, just 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 take into account all of this stuff. You've got the Democratic Party base is furious with the Democrats. Yesterday I mentioned a Reuters story. One in four Democrats don't think the Democrats have done enough to use their power to push the GOP and, and to advance legislation. One in four Democrats don't. of Democrats don't think the mask should come down and disagree with Democrats for taking the mask down. If the election were held today, Joe Biden would lose to Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders in a Democratic primary. And then, as I mentioned, in San Francisco, Parents revolted and threw out three progressive school board members in a recall. I mean, they took the time to collect signatures. They went door to door. They built the signatures. They made the case. They ran a campaign. They got it on the ballot. And last night they won. It's rare for a recall to win. And they won, not just one, but three of them. And now the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee is warning R-plus-14 and swing districts? That's really bad. The Democrats are really, really panicked. And the Democrats are urging Democrats to lie in order to win. They're literally telling Democrats to say they don't support open borders and amnesty, which is a lie. Republicans, though, they've got problems. And this gets back to the David Perdue piece. In various states, Donald Trump can make or break candidates, and it appears that in Georgia, to a degree, it's waning. Now, here's my theory in Georgia. There are a bunch of candidates who have Donald Trump's support. In fact, I'm told reliably President Trump is trying to find someone to run against the very popular attorney general in Georgia, Chris Carr, Republican, and thus far hasn't had any takers. But my, my sense is what may happen is that Republicans in Georgia will say, oh, we're sticking with Brian Kemp, but we'll give Trump everybody else. So they'll vote against Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State, and put in someone Trump supports. They'll vote for Trump's pick for Senate. For a lieutenant governor, if he finds an attorney general, I mean, that that's something the GOP has to worry about. But as time goes on, that fades. Ironically, one of the funniest things that could happen that could throw everything for a loop is there's a federal judge in Georgia considering redistricting, and he could move the primary in Georgia to July. If that happens, it continues to allow Trump's energy to wane, uh, to decline, and helps those who are not supported by Trump. At the same time, 69% of Republicans say they want Trump to run again in 2024. At the same time, 50% want to move on from talking about the stolen election. Half the Republicans are tired of it. Only 37% want to keep going. The rest aren't so sure. So really it's more than 50%. And then there's the, the the percentage, the 69 who want Trump to run again for office. Now, uh, some of the polls I've seen, the polling average is about 60 percent. And I, I do wonder, are we to take these people seriously or literally? It's a phrase that was used about Trump. My sense is they don't want to tell pollsters that they're ready to move on to DeSantis or someone else. They want everybody to know how much they love Trump, and and by saying we want him again in 2024, they feed the pollster that line, but do they actually want him in 2024, or are they just saying that to signal that, yes, we love this guy? The problem here for the Republicans is that Trump's interference in primaries might cost them the ability to pick up the Senate. They're having problems in Pennsylvania. They're having problems in Ohio. They're having problems in Georgia. They're having problems in Arizona. The only place where the GOP is united is Nevada. In Arizona, it looks like Doug Ducey, the Republican governor, is the only one who can win, and yet he's the one that Donald Trump says, if you get in, I'm going to destroy you. In Georgia, he's backing Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker has a lot of baggage that's starting to come out in in news reports about police reports and stuff that's going to be used by the Democrats to alienate independent voters. It may very well be one of those things where 80 percent of Republicans say, hell yeah, he's our guy. Uh, We remember what he did for the state, and we love Donald Trump. And then you get to the general election where there are a whole heck of a lot of people in Georgia who did not live here back in the glory days of the 1980s Georgia football team. They say, there's no way. Could put Warnock in the Senate for a full six years. Both parties have problems at this point. There are some states where Donald Trump absolutely will make a positive impact in a race. There are places where Donald Trump can play and have a real positive impact for the GOP, but there are other places where it could hurt him. Arizona being one of those places. And the GOP's got to figure out how to thread that needle with Donald Trump. And also, you know, the longer he stays around, in all honesty, all candor and honesty, I am firmly convinced. As long as Donald Trump continues to be a player on the political scene, what's going to happen is a whole bunch of Democrats are going to continue to try to destroy him. I think if Donald Trump did an announcement tomorrow and said, you know what, I'm not running in 2024 and I'm done with politics, I'm going to go enjoy life, all these investigations will go away. And if if he keeps going on, the Democrats are going to do everything they can to bankrupt him and throw him in jail. They are scared to death of Donald Trump, and that in and of itself should give a big red flag to everyone here. The Democrats themselves think Trump could get reelected, and that keeps him in the game. And who could blame him? We'd be far better off right now with him in the White House than Joe Biden. Every poll says so. I fundamentally believe that's true. Whether I care for the guy personally or not, I think the country itself would be better off if he were still in the White House. but the Republicans have problems. In Georgia, the Trump Republicans have the problems. He's promised them the moon and can't even get them fundraising dollars. Nationally, though, in general elections, in Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania, candidates who have Donald Trump's endorsement, about 50% of voters in those states say that'll hurt them, not help them. But you know what? The reality is I'd still far prefer to be a Republican in this environment than the Democrats because the Republicans have some problems. But Trump is both manageable and he's not on the ballot. Joe Biden's not on the ballot either, but he's at the forefront of people's minds because he's the president of the United States. So, yeah, Republicans have some problems. They can deal with them. And in some states, Trump actually helps far more than he hurts. And the media doesn't like to pay attention to that fact, but it's true. But it's the Democrats who everywhere they are in the country – Except Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, and one other state, not California, not Delaware. I forget which one. Uh, Vermont, that's it. Vermont, Massachusetts, Maryland, and Hawaii. Joe Biden can help candidates in literally every other state in the union, including his home state of Delaware and the state of California and New York. If you are tied to Joe Biden, you are more likely than not going to be toast in November, and the Republicans are going to tie all the Democrats to Joe Biden. So it's a far better year to be a Trump-endorsed Republican than a Democrat tied to Joe Biden. Yes, yes, you should. Text RECIPE to 33777. I'll send you back the link. I actually sent out a recipe earlier. It is my bacon-wrapped jalapenos. You no, know, everybody has a bacon-wrapped jalapeno recipe. Poppers, they call them. I have the best one. I do. And you can get it by texting the word RECIPE. So 33777, you can sign up for the list. Now you can get the free list and you get all the recipes or you can pay and, and really what you're what you're subscribing with like, I think it's 30 bucks for a year, is you're actually helping me buy all the groceries to do the recipe prep and all to get you the recipes. But nonetheless, let me tell you, uh, those of you who subscribe, you chipped in you helped me develop this recipe, here's the secret to it, breakfast sausage. So you ground your breakfast sausage, and then you add the cream cheese and the cheddar cheese to that, and you stuff the jalapenos with that. And then instead of wrapping a dinky half piece of bacon around, you do a whole piece of bacon. You can put it on a grill and a smoker or like a pellet grill or the oven for about 400 degrees, and my gosh, are they delicious. They are, and they're easy. You can get the recipe by texting RECIPE, single word, not plural, RECIPE, to 33777 and get the RECIPE. Now, you know, I mentioned this the other day, uh, the great subsidies out there. By the way, if you're on the line, uh, hold on. I'll get to your phone call here. I've only got about a minute or so here. I didn't want to do an injustice to your phone calls. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. 973 7425 Mentioned this the other day. Uh, the Biden administration, uh, because they can't get Build Back Better passed, and now everybody's worried about spending and they want to give the gas tax holiday and or give a gas tax holiday. The Green New Deal people are really upset. Turns out all the people who built green businesses waiting for government subsidies are going to have to wait a little longer for the government subsidy. It's not coming, and they're starting to get really mad about it. And in getting mad about it, well, they're about to have to start laying people off because they were waiting for all this government largesse to come, and it's not coming. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez told him it was coming, and it's not coming. You know what could be coming? Omaha Steaks. Don't you love that transition? Yes, sir, Bob, you do. OmahaSteaks.com has their sampler pack right now. What's a sampler pack? Well, it means you get all the deliciousness. You get the filet mignon. You get The pork chops, you get the chicken breasts, you get the gourmet jumbo freaks, you get the meatballs, you get the caramel apple tartlets. And for free, you get 12 free burgers. That's right. Over 50% savings from omahasteaks.com. You can get it today, delivered to your door. Those burgers, the weather's warming up, you have a grill out. You can do the steak, whatever, on the grill. Do it in the oven if you need. The caramel apple tartlets, they're individually wrapped. You warm them up in the oven. My wife loves them omahasteaks.com here's what you do you go to omahasteaks.com and you put eric e r i c k in the search bar you'll see the sampler it has the best of the best of omaha steaks the filets the boneless pork chops the boneless chicken breasts the the 12 free burgers the meatballs the caramel apple tartlets omahasteaks.com you put eric in the search bar you get all of this delivered to your door deliciously delivered Over 50% savings and those burgers, 12 of them for free for your big family cookout or for your friends or for the people you really love that your family doesn't even know about. You go to omahasteaks.com and you put Eric in the search bar. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on this here program. Now, we got other stuff we got to cover including uh, a story from the other day that I did not get a chance to get to about Levi's and the Wokes. But before we get there, I got to play you some audio. Because as I told you, the gun control crowd is coming for us. And Joy Reid, who is not exactly an intellectual giant, but has a show on MSNBC that rumors say is soon to be canceled. Uh, Well, she's not all bright. We got to admit it. And I got to play you this audio from her. I had to apologize to Charlie for making him listen to this idiot.
1: All these Republicans who are claiming to be just so concerned about the kids. Ron DeSantis was an incoming freshman congressman when Sandy Hook happened. Where was his concern then? And you know what's tragic, Governor Christie Noem? The kids across the country have no idea what it's like to go to school without the prospect of an active shooter showing up. I, for one, am eagerly awaiting all of your legislative proposals, other than thoughts and prayers, that address this urgent threat to our kids, since you care so much about protecting the children. And I know when you folks want to do something, you do it. Take, for example, these other Republicans who want to trigger the libs. You remember these pictures of Representatives Lauren Boebert and Thomas Massey? How does cosplaying with the weapon of choice of school mass murderers in matching outfits protect the children? I mean, do you leave those firearms just laying around the house where the kids can get to them? And maybe, just maybe, if Republicans cared about the kids, they could muster the courage to pass a new assault weapons ban, just like the one that Joe Biden got passed back in 1994. You know, the assault weapons ban that Republicans allowed to expire. Unfortunately for actual accountability, Parents and kids are – they're on their own when it comes to school shootings.
0: Oh, yes. Let's politicize the school shootings. This is the latest talking point from the political left that Republicans say they care about the kids. They want the kids unmasked and in schools, and if they really cared about the kids, they would pass gun control. They're trying to pivot. Now, I do think there's some politicization here, and Joy Reid is just the tip of the spear on this for Democrats, and and she's not the – well, she, she's not the sharpest part of the spear. But, I mean, their allegation, their claim is that the Republicans, if they really cared about the kids, they'd go to gun control. They're trying to pivot to gun control. Now, part of this is that the Parkland High School shooting uh, anniversary was four years ago. But a lot of this is they think that they can persuade suburban parents to come back to them on the issue of gun control. And I don't think they can. I think they— really genuinely truly misunderstand the issue they misunderstand the issue because a lot of americans understand at this point given the crime wave and the riot stuff they can't give up their guns now i know a lot of people who claim to be for guns really want gun restrictions they want background checks they want to get rid of the uh, the loopholes that they call it for gun shows where there really aren't. I bought a gun at a gun show and had to do a background check. I actually had someone transfer a gun to me from out of state and had to go through all the process of filling out the forms. Democrats say they want it to be as easy to uh, vote as it is to buy a gun. They've never actually bought a gun because every time you go buy a gun, you got to go fill out all the paperwork and get clearance from the ATF before you can buy your gun. They have no idea what they're talking about. Yet, they think with easy talking points and cheap talking points they can convey a message to people. And those people who aren't gun owners but claim to be Second Amendment uh, supporters, they'll actually they'll come their way. There's a problem for the Democrats in all of this. We have more gun owners now than we did, more new gun buyers in the last couple of years than we've ever had before. Every month, it seems like, is setting a record for new gun buyers. Now, I will tell you that ammo is finally coming back. It's been a long time since we've had sufficient ammunition, and we suddenly do, but at a price. It's expensive now. But we have a lot of new gun owners in the country. You know what? A lot of them are black and women. And they understand with the defund the police efforts from the left, as much as the Democrats say they don't want to defund the police, the progressive members do, and they're doubling down on it. Uh, When someone comes to your home, tries to rob you, and you call 911, you're going to be robbed or dead before the police get to you. So you're going to have to take care of yourself. People start to understand this in the rioting. The Democrats overplayed their hands on this. Joy Reid and Democrats can lecture Republicans on saying if you really cared for the kids, if you really were worried about the kids, you'd pass assault weapons bans and the like. If you were really worried about the kids, you would all own a gun. If you're really worried about the kids, you would encourage teachers to arm up and train to protect the kids in the classroom because guess what? You're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. People don't seem to understand this, that we have a Second Amendment in this country. The right to keep and bear arms, according to the Supreme Court, is an individual right. You know, I can find the right to keep and bear arms in the Constitution. It's actually there. The Second Amendment is actually in print. I've looked. I went to law school. I've searched. I've done a word search. Can't find the word abortion in the Constitution. There's no right to an abortion in the Constitution. It was divined there by progressive judges. Meanwhile, the Second Amendment right is there in print. You can read it for yourself. So we're not going to go the way of Australia and have a national gun buyback program. We're not going to go the way of Canada or Scotland or the UK or anywhere else. We're Americans. We have a right to keep and bear arms. We can quibble about what it means and the extent of it. But not only do we have that right, we have more new gun owners than we've ever had before. So we, I think, should think differently about guns, and and that should be we should have all the teachers armed. You know, I'm a proponent of this at my kid's school. So is my wife. She wants all the teachers to be armed and trained. Get them all guns. Teach them how to use them. There's, There's how you solve your school shootings. Oh, yeah, I know some of you think I'm being flippant here, but I'm actually being serious. We're not going to get rid of the guns. And in all of these shootings, the kids who've come to school with the guns, they didn't comply with the law to get the guns. They broke the law. They did something they shouldn't have done to be able to get the guns. It's very rare to have a mass shooting where the people who did the shooting actually complied with the law to get the guns. In Sutherland, Texas, at the church shooting there, the Air Force is having to pay money because it turns out the guy who was able to get the gun there should not have been on the list of people to be able to get a gun. And the Air Force screwed up the paperwork, and so he wasn't on the reject list. And when he went to get the gun, he was able to get the gun because the government itself screwed up. The government itself was supposed to put that shooter on a list that prohibited him from buying guns, and they did not do it. The government itself screwed up. Who's going to protect you from the government screw-up? We have a right to keep and bear arms. You can't shut down the gun store because we have a right to keep and bear arms under the Second Amendment. So you have to think differently. How do you think differently in a country where gun ownership is a constitutional right written into the Constitution that is plain for you and me to read? You don't take guns away. You give guns away. Give them to all the law-abiding citizens. Encourage them all on proper gun use. Let the teachers arm up. Don't just have guards at the schools. Let the teachers concealed carry. You got to think different. Some of you are like this Erickson, you're nuts. You've lost your mind. But you're not going to get rid of the Second Amendment. You're not going to get rid of handguns. All the people talk about this, even Joy Reid on MSNBC, when she talks about gun control and background checks, she talks about an assault weapons ban. She's not talking about a handgun ban. Most of the... Violence in this country, gun violence, is from handguns, not from long barrel rifles, not from uh, AR models. And AR does not stand for assault rifle. It's also a magazine. It's not a clip. You got to think differently. Do you know what you call gun owners? Republicans. I don't think it's a coincidence That you're seeing a shift to the GOP from Hispanic and black voters at a time Hispanic and black voters are the most rapidly increasing group of gun owners in the country. I don't think it's a coincidence, y'all. I really don't. People don't feel safe. You know, there's something else that's happened that I find fascinating is, you know, the Republican Party is the conservative party. But it is perceived as moving in a more moderate direction. So, for a lot of the public, for a lot of our our modern history, they they went with the Republicans for national security and for foreign affairs. They thought the Democrats would screw stuff up, and then they were ready to look inward domestically again. They they bring in Democrats, and they would put up with Republicans who they always thought were you're yeah, a little more conservative than us, but. You're also the grown-up in the room. You're responsible. And then they bring the Democrats, oh, we want to have a good time. We want to raise the hem of the, of the skirt. We want, to, we want to have a good time. Let's bring in Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Joe Biden. And then the Democrats screw up domestically, screw up foreign policy, and they bring back the GOP. But everyone had to hold their breath because the GOP was more conservative. It wasn't just that they were pro-life, against gay marriage, very, very pro-traditional household. Very Christian. Now the GOP is not so much. I mean, you had a Republican president of the United States who was banging porn stars, cheating on his wives, supported gay rights, sung the praises of Planned Parenthood, even as he declared himself pro-life. That, that I mean, I'm, I'm not being disparaging. I'm just I'm follow along with me here. I'm being truthful. Meanwhile, where did the Democrats go? The Democrats were not in support of gay marriage anymore. They were, you must support it and bake the cake, you freaking bigot, or we're going to put you out of business. The Democrats were not just, well, I'm glad you're pro-marriage. They were also, now show up to the wedding or else we're going to burn you at the stake. The Democrats went from leave well enough alone to, no, no, we're going to allow the boy to compete against the girl even when he hasn't chopped his male reproductive organ off. Nope, we're just going to pretend he's a girl because he says so. And then the Democrats went further. I mean, in Cobb County, Georgia, now you had a teacher show kindergartners a video on same-sex attraction. Let me read for you the description of the piece. Cobb County, Georgia, not exactly a progressive bastion, had a high school teacher or I'm sorry, not a high school teacher, an elementary school teacher, I believe I was told he was a PE teacher, show a video to kindergartners. Let me read for you the description of the video. A closeted boy runs the risk of being outed by his own heart after it pops out of his chest to chase down the boy of his dreams. Now, some of you will dig, oh, to Murgatroyd. They're showing same-sex attraction videos in school. No, 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 no. Don't miss the plot here. They're not showing same-sex attraction videos in kindergarten. They're showing attraction videos in kindergarten, sex-attracted videos. It doesn't matter that it's gay. It doesn't matter. I know for some of you it does. If you're a Christian, it matters greatly. But the point here is that why are you showing kindergartners videos about kids who are sexually attracted to each other? You're kindergartners. And the Democrats are like, you bigot. How dare you oppose this? So here's where we are in the country, with gun owners, with moderates, with all the other people. The Democrats are no longer the moderates on these issues. You're more likely to find a pro-abortion, pro-gun control, pro-gay marriage Republican out there than you are to find a pro-life, pro-gun, pro-traditional marriage Democrat. The Republicans expanded their tent and the Democrats, as the rich white wokes moved in, started pushing everybody else out. You either, you didn't have to agree anymore. You had to participate. And that rubbed people the wrong way, badly rubbed people the wrong way. It was no longer just let's affirm it and be tolerant. It was bake the cake bigot. And that turned a lot of people off. And the Democrats, they don't even realize it because within their sphere of influence in their bubble, those bigots are the bad people. It's just it's a weird dynamic. Demography was supposed to be destiny. But it turns out when you fill the Democrats with a bunch of rich white secular Karens, nobody wants to be a part of that party anymore. And the Republicans seem way more reasonable and way more moderate than the Democrats. And you know what? Ironically, the party of tolerance seems very intolerant. And The Republicans, well, guess what? They're the tolerant party now. One of the groups that is Christian and conservative and advancing the conservative movement, even against the Republicans sometimes, is Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is a cell phone company. So how do they do this? Well, they take a portion of their profits and they deliver those portions of their profits to the pro-life movement. To the Second Amendment movement, to veterans and first responders, and you can move your business to Patriot Mobile and use a company that shares your values. Now, I know what you're thinking: never heard of this company before. How's their cell phone service? Well, they're called an MVNO. Congress passed a law; they get to use the same cell towers all the big guys use. So you can use the Verizon towers, you can use the AT&T towers, so you get. Great service. You get the 5G, you get the data, you get the voice, you get Patriot Mobile, you don't have to deal with the wokes anymore. And they take a portion of their profits and they give it to the conservative movement. You can bring your unlocked phone over or you can buy a new phone from them. You can even bring your existing phone number over to them. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. PatriotMobile.com slash E R-I-C-K, and you will get free activation with my name. Now you're saying, I don't want to use the website. I want to call them. I want to talk to a human being. Well, if you do, you're talking to someone who lives in the United States of America. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service, and you can call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation. Or just go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I, I We need to have a, a moment about a topic we haven't talked a lot about. Uh, the president of Turkey— Uh, Erdogan is in the United Arab Emirates. They have had a frosty relationship for a number of years. In fact, Turkey blamed the UAE for helping a coup against Erdogan in in 2016. The UAE has denied it. They had really bad relationships. Uh, Turkey got very angry with the UAE for suddenly becoming uh, buddies with Israel. While all of this is going on, the Israeli uh, minister for, I think, foreign affairs is in Bahrain, building relationships with Bahrain on on an alliance against Iran. The Turks, meanwhile, have disrupted an assassination attempt by the Iranians on an Israeli businessman. A lot of this comes from the Abraham Accords, and Donald Trump will not get credit in the media. The Abraham Accords. He will not get credit for helping secure a peace in the Middle East. He, he won't. They don't like him. They don't want to be honest about it. And there are some who say, well, they're doing it on their own because they knew Trump was going to walk away from them. But a lot of people would say Trump made those threats and began the walk to get them to the table because they all are scared of Iran. So between their fear of Iran and Joe Biden building up Iran again with a new nuclear deal, And what Donald Trump was able to do, we're seeing peace break out in the Middle East. It's got to be one of the signs of the apocalypse, the peace before the end. But regardless, to see the president of Turkey and the United Arab Emirates, where I grew up, is actually a really big deal, given what's happened in the past few years. To see the foreign minister of Israel in Bahrain or in the UAE, to see them embrace as if they're brothers is a really big deal. And Donald Trump and Jared Kushner had a great deal to do with that, and they're just simply not getting credit because of biases in the media and internationally against them, and they deserve a great deal of credit for bringing a peace to the Middle East that no one expected. You know, John Kerry, when he was Secretary of State, said there would be an all or nothing peace. It would all come with a peace related to the Palestinians or nothing would happen. And he mocked Donald Trump for thinking differently and thinking it could happen, said it never happened. All the experts knew they could not deliver what they've delivered. And yet they did it, they pulled it off. If it were a Democrat, he'd have gotten the Nobel Peace Prize. Jared Kushner's been nominated. Anyone can be nominated for the Peace Prize. He deserves it. So does Donald Trump. There's a change in the Middle East, and a lot of it has to do with Iran being emboldened by the Democrats. But a lot of it has to do with Donald Trump thinking differently about the Middle East, and it worked.